Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 48. We've got chaos in Washington, D.C. as I record this. Protesters, not protesters, what, insurrectionists, uh, mob, storming the Capitol. So, yeah, uh, that's what happens. That's what happens when... Um, people, you know, listen to a would-be dictator and um, be very interesting to see what shakes out over the next few days if the scales are lifted from some people's eyes. We'll just have to see, but I'm very hopeful that cooler heads will prevail and order will be put back. Uh, And um, we go on to a much, much brighter future. So many things I'd like to see happen. In the employment realm, so many things for working people that need to happen and and for all people. And I hope that maybe over the next four years, it's not too much to hope that we get rid of the notion that, you know, employment is just part of the free market and it'll all sort itself out. And magically, all the people that need work will get work and it'll be great, you know, just letting companies choose and discard who they want and treat people how they want. It's absurd, right? It's completely out of control, and I hope to see the pendulum swing back in the direction of looking at employment as a really important part of society, of our civilization, that where there is policy that that helps people get work and helps them when they can't find work instead of this dog-eat-dog, lord-of-the-flies system that we have going on right now. But... I still have questions to answer and topics to cover, so let's dive right into that. I'm going to talk about today in episode 48, employee recognition. Got a question from Fawn. Contract work, um, without a contract. Question from Rick, who had a bait-and-switch situation on a job offer. Monica, uh, how do I grow my entrepreneurial muscles? How do I make my current job sound more impressive? in writing for my resume and my LinkedIn profile. That's a question from Royce. And then finally, um, how broad or narrow should my job search focus be? And that is a question from Emma. So let's start with Fawn who says, hey Liz, any tips for creating an employee recognition program in my company? Well, hey Fawn, I think it's great that you're doing that, right? Anything we can do to make the workplace more human, I'm all about it, I'm all for it. The word that gives me pause in your question is program. And I think that as HR people, I don't know if you're an HR person, but HR people are often the ones put in charge of things like employee recognition programs. I'm an HR person, that's my background. And I get spooked a little bit by the word program because programs are sort of energy stoppers. Here's the program, it's defined. This is what it is. Now we just administer it. I'm interested in the opposite thing, which is energy, culture, you could say, creating a culture of recognition, which isn't a program defined by HR and, uh, you know, and rolled out. That's what we talk about. We're rolling out a program. And if you notice, employees and managers typically are not real excited about programs that HR rolls out because it's like more work, more burden, more hassle, more things to know about, and it doesn't often hit the way that you want this recognition thing to hit. 
if I were working with you on this, I would say, we know nothing. Let's find out what your employees want and give them what they want. Isn't that the definition of recognition? A lot of times employee recognition, those two words in particular when, when joined, turn out to be vendor-driven programs. In other words, somebody that makes mugs and, you know, uh, insulated lunch boxes and other nice tchotchke things um, comes to you and says, you should do an employee recognition program and it's really affordable and we'll do these insulated lunch boxes for you and these mugs for your employees and you can recognize employees with them. Nah, it's not my favorite. There's so much wrong with that. <laughs> First of all, why are your employees excited about these products? You know, also recognition conferred by the company on individual people like you are employee of the month and you really knock the ball out of the park. That's great when it's organic, but as a program, we have sat down and we have decided that scares the hell out of me. I don't think that's what builds trust and community in a culture. I, I'm reminded of when my daughter was a resident advisor in college. She, she lived in the dorm and took care of, you know, 30 young women who were freshmen and, you know, kept them out of trouble the best she could and tried to make them comfortable in a dorm setting and all that. There, I, I could write a book, she could write a book about that experience because it was a real eye-opener about community and energy versus bureaucracy and programs. But the incident that I'm thinking of in particular was one day she, she was two weeks into her RA ship and a sophomore, 19 years old, and uh, somebody higher up in the, in the resident advisor hierarchy called her and said, I need you to go down to this other dorm, the RA's home for the weekend, and I need you to go knock on a door and talk to this young woman who is doing suicide ideation, a freshman, right? Freaked out probably away from home and talk to her. Wow, my daughter says, I mean, that's so far out of my experience. She said, just talk to her, and your goal is to get her to the health center across campus. You're going to walk across campus with her and get her to the health center. That is your goal. No guidance on what to say. No guidance on whom to call if she were having difficulty. My daughter was freaked out. She, she called me while she was walking over to this dorm to knock on the door and have a conversation with this child, you know, who was in distress. But she did it. She went there. She got into the room, she sat down and said, hey, you know, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm an RA, I'm not your RA, but I'm one of the RAs. And, you know, I know it's hard when you just first show up at college, it's overwhelming. I was there just a year ago and, you know, I wanna hear about you, what's going on with you, how you doing? You know, you wanna go to the vending machine and get a cup of coffee or a soda or something. You know, I would love to have you you know, talk to some people that know more about this stuff than I do, and they can help you at the health center. Would that be okay? It took four hours, and she was there with her for four hours, and they got to the health center, and then she had to wait like another 45 minutes, and she waited, and then they walked back across campus, and the young woman felt much better, and my daughter was completely exhausted and, you know, just wiped out, but, but she felt it like, okay, this was a good day. And... Then the following week, they had their weekly RA meeting in the uh, in the dorm. The, the manager was pretty intense. It was one of these things, you get a demerit if you're one second late and all that because it's, you know, 1945 all over again. And um, so my daughter walks in and the woman says, I just want to, in, in to, uh, to acknowledge, I want to recognize somebody who did something really above and beyond 
this week that really helped our whole community, and that is, and she names another RA, another girl. She gave me two extra hours on the front desk phones this week. <laughs> and so my daughter said, it's so classic, right? I helped this poor woman who was really having very down thoughts, verging on hurting herself, and but no, it's doing the administrative hours that it that stuck in the manager's brain. Well, why is that? Because that's the way business is oriented, and college and college residential services is business. The right, the trains have to run on time, and so that's the stuff that stands out. So innovation, collaboration, teamwork, inspiration—these kind, kinds of things tend to not get noticed. I have experienced that. You may have experienced that. It's like, ah, eh, yeah, well. So recognition conferred by the management on individual employees really scares me because it tends to go in that direction. Oh yeah, thanks for the extra hours and thanks for the administrative work. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, it's great stuff, but here's what I want you to think about in organizations. We measure particles and ignore the waves and all the power is in the waves. Of course, the waves translate to particles over time but measuring particles and ignoring the waves is our biggest problem. One of our biggest problems in the working world. So a recognition program, Fawn, that, that says, oh, the managers got together and decided to recognize Charlie. That, that, that sounds very unhealthy. You know, the employees are not necessarily going to feel, feel more exalted or acknowledged or heard that way. You want everything you do to spring from the employees themselves. What do they want? probably not a mug or an insulated lunchbox or if you did do an insulated lunchbox do one for everybody and the mug do it for everybody the idea that somebody has a mug on their desk that they got because they pleased their manager and their manager voted them up the list that's ugh, that's just not the way we already have this huge baked-in problem where it's like you know pleasing your manager is the key to success so we don't want to reinforce that we want to say how how can we make this community more warm, more human, more trusting, more organic, where people feel more comfortable being themselves or taking risks or vocalizing, you know, talking about things that haven't been talked about. So my big suggestion on your recognition program, Fawn, is talk to your employees, make this program all about manifesting what your employees say they need more of. And that could be time off. That could be flexibility. It's probably not a mug. If you, if you keep everything the same and give out mugs, then it's a failure out of the gate. Give the employees what they want, obviously. I, moving on to Rick's question. It's not a question, it's a story. Rick says, I applied for a job. I had three interviews, marketing job in a startup, $60,000. They made me the job offer and only then told me it's a contract position of undefined length with no benefits. Not sure what to do. I don't trust them, but I need the money to pay the rent. Well, Rick, Maslow rules, right? Got to have the money to pay the rent. You could absolutely take this fake job and keep looking. I just want to call out, you know, we say contract. Everybody says it's a contract. It's not a contract. It's the opposite of contract. They call it contract, you guys, when it is literally as far as you could get from a contract because a real contract, like they have... In the UK and all of Europe and all of industrialized Asia and industrialized everywhere, 
says you can't just be let go whimsically one day. And here in the United States, we just ironically, I guess unintentionally, ironically, use the word contract to mean the opposite of a contract where you are guaranteed nothing. It's day labor. They could tell you at any moment you're done. So this is $60,000 a year, you said. It's no guarantee you're going to be there a year, but that's $5,000 a month divided by 20 is $250 a day, gross day labor. It's a temp job. So, you know, you could take it and keep looking would be one option, in which case you'd want to negotiate some flexibility in the hours. Just say, you know, I need a little flexibility during the day. If you're going to pay me this $250 a day, you probably don't care. You don't need me to physically be somewhere working from home. I just need, I will tell you right now, um, you know, uh, I need some flexibility during the day. So I, if I need, if I have something that I have to do for an hour and a half, that's what I'm going to do. And that way you could keep interviewing for other jobs. And the other thing to do is negotiate and say, you know, if you hire me for an undetermined period, I have no security at all. It's a little hard to invest in your project. And it's going to probably cause me to leave here for something more solid before you guys may necessarily be ready to lose me. So why don't we do a thing where you know, you, you, you give me a contract for six months that just says, if you let me go before six months, you know, unrelated, not for cause. In other words, I haven't done some horrible thing, but you're finished with me and I get a bonus, bonus equivalent to whatever, six weeks pay. We'll make you think about it a little bit. If you have to pay me six weeks anyway, you might as well keep me, you know, maybe the six months or whatever time period and negotiate. And obviously, if you have no other opportunities and you're desperate for the rent money, then you might take this job and not negotiate, but just, you know, keeping in mind always, what is my wiggle room? What is my leverage? And this, I hope, is a lesson not just to you, Rick, but to all of us. We are all entrepreneurs now. Job security, it's so gone. It's a relic from our parents' age. Even jobs that look secure are not secure. And the ones that may be more secure, which tend to be government jobs, unfortunately often equip us the least for the inevitable job search that we are going to experience before long. Which means we have to get better at these kinds of things, negotiating, knowing who else is out there, having conversations with people when we're employed, having relationships with recruiters, being out there in it, right? We have this solidity idea, like, you know how, like, you get married, I don't date anymore. I'm married. I don't date other people. Oh, my God, I'm married. I love my spouse. I made a commitment to them. I'm married. I'm so married. I don't even look at other women, other men, other whatever. It's not like that with jobs. I'm employed. People say, it's, it's disloyal, Liz, for me to look around. Are you? No, it isn't. Are you kidding? It's not disloyal. Who's your loyalty to? Do you think that for your paycheck, your company bought your loyalty to them over your loyalty to yourself? That's absurd. Your loyalty to other people who might depend on you? Financially, no. Your loyalty is to yourself first. If your company wanted that, then they should have given you a contract like they would if you were in the UK or if you were in France or Germany or Sweden or Poland or Korea, South Korea anyway. They, they yeah. They would give you that because the law would require it, as it should here. You would have some security when you put your head down on the pillow at night that you're still going to have your job tomorrow because there wasn't a meeting taking place a month ago that said your whole division is gone. It's just we decided to kill that project. So, so let's not have false loyalty 
naive, mistaken, unearned loyalty to people that would let you go. I'm not being cynical, you guys. I am an HR person, and I love organizations, healthy organizations, but we don't have the framework for that here in the United States. We have the opposite, and it's foolish and, and, and unnecessary to be in this fog or to have our heads in the sand and say, oh, I'll probably be fine. No, it's not disloyal. You've got to look out for yourself. So you're going to negotiate this thing, Rick, unless you just say, I don't even want to do that. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to immediately, you know, get more resumes out on the street and have more conversations because this deal, not only is it a bad deal for me, undetermined length of the project and no benefits, but also they bait and switched me. They lied to me by omission, big time lie by omission. When they put this ad out on Indeed or LinkedIn or wherever it was, I responded, they let me get through three interviews and they never mentioned by the way, Rick, it's not a real job. It's happening more and more. We have this Prop 22 pass in California, scandalous, bad, Uber and all them were out there advertising for it, saying it would be a really good thing for riders. And so, you know, the, the, the standard of employee, um, uh, independent contractor, which of course Uber drivers, Lyft drivers are not, they're regular people looking for work, but they make them out like they're independent business people. And now multiple uh, delivery companies and, and even um, grocery store chains have laid off all of their employees, all of their delivery employees who drive trucks and said, you're independent contractors just like Uber because of Prop 22. It's wrong, you guys. This is what I mean when I say, I hope the U.S. starts to have a more holistic view of employment as an essential ingredient in a healthy society and look at what the minimum standards are that would make that true, that would let people get a living wage and have a roof over their heads. This is not extreme stuff. It's not socialism, not that there's anything wrong with socialism, but it's ridiculous to say unless companies get everything they want, including smashing us into the ground, then somehow it's your anti-business or anti-whatever. Absurd, ridiculous, looking for that pendulum to swing. So yeah, Rick, that's the story with your contact job, contract job, but like I said, Maslow rules, the rent must be paid, do what you have to do. And if you, you stay there two weeks and you bail and get something better, Hey, they can look in the mirror. They're the ones who jerked you around and they got what they deserved. All right, question from Monica. Hey Liz, you want me and us to grow our entrepreneurial muscles. How do you do that? Great question, Monica. There's so many ways. The first one is just to not think of yourself as glued to your job. Don't think you are your job or you are your business card. You have way, way, way more capability then pretty much any job is going to call forth from you because jobs are not defined around people. They're defined around a job description. That's the diabolical genius of the Godzilla system that I am always ragging about. The uh, hierarchical, you know, Taylor Weber organizational system. The job is defined and you're just a rando that went into the job and anybody else could do that job if they had similar skills and background to you. So we don't really want you to put too much stamp on the job because that would then move the locus of power over from us to you. We don't want to be dependent. Remember how they say no one is indispensable. So great. So we just want to even begin to level the power inequality there by making you just as portable 
as the job is. Keeping aware, read the job ads when you're not job hunting because you're always job hunting. Keep your network alive, stay in touch with those people. Have a recruiter on your short list, on your speed dial. If you don't have one, get one through a friend, get one through LinkedIn. I've written a gazillion articles about how to get a recruiter in your corner. Know what a job like yours would pay. Know which other companies have people like you. And if you can, if you possibly can, Monica, in 2021, start some kind of side thing, something. Start something where you get paid by people who are not that one boss at your one job. Loosen, give yourself wiggle room. Loosen the space around you, you know? Expand the walls of the box a little bit that you are not living and breathing for that employer because it's when we completely give up our entire life, our friendships, our aspirations, our hobbies in full 100% service to the job that the job tends to go away or become untenable. It's like a law of the universe. People say, I killed myself for that job for 18 months and then one day it was gone or I got a new boss and I desperately wanted to get out. The trick is just don't get into that box. It doesn't pay off. It doesn't pay off. It's comforting in a way to say, oh, I'm in this company and it's so great and the company is growing and I got a bonus and everything, but down, for the long term, tends not to be a good deal. Got to look out for yourself. You are the CEO of your own career and you're never gonna not be that. Okay. Royce wants to know, how do I make my job as a payroll processing call center team leader sound more impressive? Ah, oh, Royce, your job is impressive. You don't need to make your job sound more impressive. What's not impressive about it? Payroll processing center, call center, team leader? It's a lot. That is a lot. How many people do you lead? Eight, 14, 16? These are the typical numbers. It's a lot to deal with. It's a lot on your shoulders. Look at Think about, you know, job hunting, consulting, being out in the professional world. Think about all of that as sales, some kind of a sales activity. Recruiting is obviously sales as well, but let's just talk about job search right now. I assume when you say, help me make my job sound more impressive, it's because you're job hunting or thinking about it. So you're selling. And what is the easiest thing to sell? Well, the easiest thing to sell is always something that you really believe in. Right? If you believe in something, you think it's amazing, it's just so much easier to sell it. So when we're on a job search, you're selling yourself and your background. And that means you have to believe in yourself. But most of us don't because it's not our fault, but we've been kind of beaten down and told over the years that we're just not all that. We're just not all that great. Your job's not impressive. You're not that smart. Don't think you're anything. You know, We get that message, even as kids. So your goal, Royce, is to get back in touch with the power in you that you bring to your job every day. Because the job itself is plenty impressive, right? You hire people, you train them. It's, it's complicated payroll. I ran payroll. I mean, I was an HR leader for years and payroll was under HR and it was always the part I was like, because that's because the law gets involved in garnishments and, you know, and... It's not simple. And then if you're a payroll processing company call center, you've got people calling presumably from multiple clients that have multiple different uh, payroll processes and standards and policies. And your folks have to interpret all that. People get upset about their money. No one can blame them. 
So it's high stakes, sensitive conversations. You're supervising all that. You're motivating the team. You're coaching them, right? You're running interference with your leaders and probably collaborating and at times maybe in jurisdictional disputes with your fellow team leaders. It's a lot. It's a lot. Feel it. Feel it, Royce. And you will not worry about how do I make it sound more impressive. It is impressive. You are impressive. And you got to feel that because your belief in yourself is the fuel that powers your job search. All right? Go kill it. That's the last. I got one more question from Emma. Hi, Liz. My focus right now in my resume and LinkedIn says sales and marketing. I'm looking for a job in sales or marketing, but I fear that's too broad. You're absolutely right, Emma. That is way too broad because there's no job called sales and marketing. It would have to be a very small company for them to want a sales and marketing person. Sales itself is vast. There's a million different kinds of sales, million different sub-functions inside of sales. Marketing is vast. So to combine the two, you, you can't. It would have to be a very tiny company that was looking for a sales and marketing. Then it would probably be either a coordinator, some kind of administrative person, or somebody to run sales and marketing, and then it's a six-person startup. And you know, you might be that person, but probably not because then you'd be a very, very seasoned, you know, revenue generating sales marketing chief for startups. Don't fear narrowing your scope. Narrowing your branding scope is power. Trying not to leave anything off your resume is, is actually, you know, mushing your, your skills and your talents into an almost unrecognizable and very sort of um, commoditized shape. Tell us what you love to do. That will actually bring people in. The narrowness of your branding will bring people in because it shows up as conviction in yourself. You do not have to be all things to all people. And as a branding strategy for job seekers, that does not work. If you want to do sales administration, because I love to do the spreadsheets and I love to do the reports and see where we're selling stuff and, and run the reports different ways and, you know, try to help out the sales intelligence and sales analysis folks, you know, that is a really cool thing. Brand yourself for that. Brand yourself, okay, what you love to do, what you're good at, which is not sales and marketing, right? That just might be two departments that you worked in, but it doesn't say anything. It's very milk toasty. And then thirdly, where there's a need in the marketplace, and that's going to be a matter mostly of reading job ads. All right, you guys, I will see you next time. Have a fantastic, fantastic next three days and uh, next few days. And to say a little prayer for our country, the U.S. of A.